Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest, Dr. Denny Burke. He's the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and he serves on the faculty of Boyce College and Southern Seminary as professor of biblical studies. He is the author of the book called What is the Meaning of Sex? And also the co-author of a book called Transforming Homosexuality. He recently wrote an article on a conference, a Christian conference uh, that was held in Plano, Texas recently. And we're going to get into what happened at this conference. It's very, very disturbing. So I'm glad to have him on the show to discuss this. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Welcome, Dr. Burke. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great to have you on. Um, Now, I mentioned... Beckett, please call me Denny. I'm going to call you Denny. But I just, you know, I just, I want to, you know, be be, uh, respectful in the beginning. Now... I mentioned that you're the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and we're going to get into the article that you wrote in a minute, but can you just tell us what that is all about, that organization? Yeah, absolutely. So about 30 years ago, gosh, 35 years ago now, uh, John Piper and Wayne Grudem and a handful of others came together because they had a deep concern about feminism And it's that as an ideology and as a belief system that was influencing evangelical churches and ministries. And so they came together and wrote a 
statement of conviction called the Danvers Statement. And then based on that statement, they formed an organization called the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And it was very much focused on addressing the problem of feminism and evangelical feminism, which was basically addressing uh, gender issues, you know, even way back then. But it was really focused on uh, what manhood and womanhood looked like in the home and in the church and whether or not feminist revisions had any place within Christianity. And so that's how that the organization was formed back in 1987. And it, you know, it wasn't like it met with a lot of uh, fanfare or press coverage uh, when they came out and announced that they were forming this organization. They had a press conference and one outlet <laughs> showed up. It was like, Christ, like Christianity today. So nobody was paying attention to it. Um, but within evangelical circles, it was, it was known. And because they, they were just a publishing dynamo. They, they came up with a book in 1991 called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And then so many of the people who were initial members of CBMW were, were just publishing their own works. But fast forward 30 years, and you begin to see within American culture and indeed within the evangelical church, the, the issues were changing because the, the debates were switching from you know, what are the, what, what is God's calling on the roles of men and women's lives within the church and the home to what is a man and what is a woman, mm -hmm. you know, people did, were no longer agreeing on the premises of the previous conversation. You, know, you see that played out right now amongst mainstream feminists. Uh, but you're also seeing that within evangelical subculture that, you know, people don't agree on the terms of, of the debate anymore. So in 2017, this is like 30 years, uh, from 1987, um, I had become president of CBMW in 2016, and I had told the the board at the time when I became president, I said, we've, we've got to come up with a new statement of conviction because almost you know 90% of the stuff that we were being asked to do by churches and uh, Christian ministries who are asking for resources, they're, they're asking us about LGBTQ issues. Um, it wasn't just about addressing feminism yeah. anymore, but it was LGBT. And they thought that the council on biblical manhood and womanhood ought to say something about that. And so that had been going on for years and years and years um, where that was the, the need of the moment. And so in 2017, we convened a larger meeting of Christian leaders and theologians in Nashville, Tennessee. And we came up with another statement called the Nashville statement, which became uh, a, basically another confessional document that now is the basis of our organization, but this document addresses what the Bible says about marriage, about sexuality, and about gender identity. And so, and it very much is, it's a very traditional statement. And it was funny because when we did this back in 2017, I kind of thought it was going to be like 1987, you know, I hope somebody pays attention to this and, you know, people will want to want, want to use this uh, for their, their church's ministries. Well, it was different in 2017 because the mayor of Nashville picked it up, tweeted it out, and we just ended up coast to coast across the country in every single newspaper and press outlet everywhere. I mean, we had SNL actors commenting on this, obviously not liking it, but yeah. it just it we somehow our small little organization peaked its head above the rim of popular culture and everybody could look at us for a while and <laughs> Um, but the, the whole point of the Nashville statement and the, and the point of our organization was not really culture war. Uh, what we did and what, what we're doing now is we're just trying to research resource churches and ministries to be faithful to Christ. 
Um, and the Nashville statement was just a resource we were hoping to put in the hands of churches who were just desperately looking for language, confessional language that they could um, use in their church. And so in the five years since then, we've seen a ton of churches, universities, Christian universities, uh, seminaries, uh, you know, the PCA <laughs> adopt the Nashville statement in one um, uh, one form or another. So that's what our organization does. Maybe that's more than you wanted to know. Um, but, but that's what CBMW is all about. No, I like that. I remember when the Nashville statement came out and I read it and I was like, this is spot on. This is amazing. I, I was, I was so thrilled that that was written. Um, and I did, it's funny because I didn't even realize that you were, <laughs> you were behind that, but, but of course, many, many prominent, uh, evangelical pastors and figures signed this, uh, signed the document. How, how many people have signed this document so far? Uh, I think we're 24,000 plus people that came, came on board and signed it. Yeah. Were there any, were there any prominent evangelical figures that were, that didn't sign it? That was surprising to you? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I, we always intended this to be a rallying point and it was never my, um, intention to make signing the Nashville ta- statement, the si- the line in the sand, right. if you didn't sign it, the, the point of the signatures was to commend this to as many churches and ministries as possible. And it, it wasn't to say, well, if you don't sign it now, you're on the baddie list. Um, you, you know, so maybe somebody has an orthodox view of these things and they disagree with this or that statement. So right. I, I have not wanted to go on the statement criticizing people for not signing it. However, those who have come out and who've opposed it and written against it and have done so for substantive reasons that go against scripture and natural revelation, I'm very happy to engage that. So, uh, so are there people that I think should have signed it but didn't? Yeah, but I'm not going to name them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no names. Um, okay, well, th- let's get into this article you wrote. Uh, so it's it's called, the title of the article is, A Report Says Revoice Embraces Radical Gender Ideology. And just for, just to refresh the audience's um, mem- minds, what is, just explain what is Revoice? Because some people who don't know i mean some people who are i mean i've talked about revoice so much on the show but some people still might not know what it is revoice is a conference ministry that began in 2018 and it was it was begun actually in part as a response to the nashville statement that came out a year earlier there were a lot of um what's people refer to as side b like maybe your listeners are familiar with that terminology side b side is, a okay just uh, re- just remind us what side b means too yeah so you, you've so side B is referring to celibate gay Christians who wish to hold to a historic Christian ethic when it comes to um, sexual behavior, but they tend to have some ideas that I don't think are consistent with historic Christian teaching when it comes to orientation change and um, uh, celibate gay partnerships, uh, these kinds of things. But so that whole group kind of existed before Revoice did. They were especially concentrated around the website Spiritual Friendship, and you could see it in the, a lot of different authors' writings. But they, they were around before, and so their response to the Nashville statement was to start this conference called Revoice. And Revoice 
which uh, meets annually, right? Which meets annually. That's 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 correct. The first one was in St. Louis, I think. The first couple, I think, this last year they met in uh, in Dallas or in yeah. Plano, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas. So that's why they started. And so it's because of differing visions of this whole contested question of, you know, what, what is the Christian church supposed to do with uh, the modern notions of LGBTQ identities? Uh, what, what do we believe about this? What does the Bible say about it? And so we've had this sort of intramural thing going on for several years now. I think it's actually starting to pull pull apart in more dramatic ways um, to where there's more of a, a clear fork and fork in the road. So in that sense, I think, you know, when, when we did the Nashville statement, we did it for this reason. We wanted to clarify the issues. We wanted to, to, to put all of our cards on the table and for Christians to make their case from the Bible. You know, what is, what does the Lord require of us? What are we supposed to be believing about these things? What does Christian discipleship look like? Um, you know, in, in, in the face of these new challenges, because the truth is a lot of Christians, frankly, were just caught sort of flat footed thinking about these concepts. And so, um, so, so that, that's kind of why we did what we did, but revoice was a response to that. And so they're still out there now and they're still they're they're, they're kind of moving forward with, with their program. We'll be right back after this short break. And you say in the article that, um, that, what if really offended these these folks was Article Seven of the Nashville Statement. Can you talk about that? What is Article Seven? Yeah. So it, when we did the Nashville Statement, we framed it in terms of affirmations and denials. Okay. So Article Seven of the Nashville Statement says this: it says we affirm that self conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption as revealed in Scripture, and then the denial. Uh, is, pro- is probably the part that was the most uh, controversial. The denial says, we deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. And it was that part about denying that adopt the, the adoption of a homosexual or transgender self-conception, that was the part that was was hard because um, the, the theological conflict, the biblical conflict that we've been having for years up until that point was over. How do we think about our identity as Christians? Mm-hmm. Who are we in Christ? Um, how do we relate to the old man? How do we relate to manifestations of the flesh? Are we defined by those things? Um, so that the whole identity question was huge, but then there was also the ethical question of what do we do with same sex desires? How are, are, are those morally implicated in some way? How, what does the Bible tell us about, you know, illicit desires? And should we found an identity based on a pattern of desires that are that are sinful? Revoice was saying one thing. Uh, we were saying something, you know, totally opposite of, of that. But Article 7 was where I, th- I think that they felt that they were being addressed and they were right about that. And so how soon after the Nashville statement was released, did you hear from people in the revoice movement? Immediately. So um, the wider world really took exception with Article 10, which says basically you can't be a faithful Christian if you're affirming of LGBTQ identities and you're denying the Bible's teaching of marriage. So the wider world took offense at that. The mm-hmm. intramural evangelical world, uh, the Side B world uh, took offense at Article Seven, 
that was the one and it was, it was immediate. And you began to see people um, saying that the document wasn't pastoral, that it was, it was not loving. It didn't take account of folks who were, who were coming from this different perspective. And they're, they're right about that. We were accounting for them. We we're just disagreeing with them and, and making a case for what we, we believe that scripture says. Yeah. And, and someone, um, I, I believe it was Nate Collins. He said that it was quote spiritual. It was a form of spiritual abuse. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote. Yeah. So I, he was one of the first people I heard from after the Nashville statement. He was one of the early ones. Um, yeah, and my response, did- I mean, when I heard that, when, when I actually read that, I, I only read that recently from somewhere, but it's like, I, I saw that and I thought, well, if that's true, then God's word is spiritual abuse. <laughs> then yeah, the Bible I mean, is spiritual abuse. Oh, you know, that, that's the whole thing, right? It, if this reflects scripture, if this is a faithful representation of scripture, and we think it is, that for me, that's tantamount to saying, well, the Bible is abusive. I mean, the Bible says some pretty stark things about sexual morality, not just to gay people, <laughs> but yeah. to every single one of us. I mean, every single one of us are getting hit in the, the chin by what the Bible says about our wayward sexual desires. So um, it, that's just a fact, but it's something that if you're a Christian, you accept, right? You yeah. know, it's like the Psalm says, let a righteous man smite me. My head will not refuse it. You know, th- th- this is what we want. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. So yeah, I, I a lot of people, I think we live in a, a therapeutic culture and you know, if something hurts, then it's bad. Yeah. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that some things that hurt and that great on us, even at, at the core of who we think we are, sometimes that's really good for us. And it's a means of sanctification. And certainly that's the way that ordinary Christians relate to scripture all the time. Yeah. And I, you know, I've talked about this before too on the show, but uh, you know, when I came to faith in Christ 13 years ago, I wanted nothing at the time. It was hard for me to kind of articulate it, but I knew I had, I wanted nothing to do with my old man. Absolutely nothing. I didn't want to be called a gay Christian or an ex gay Christian, or I didn't, I didn't want any of that terminology or Hallelujah. I didn't want to, um, you know, think of it as my orientation because that, <laughs> because I was, I was freed from Egypt and I didn't want to go back to Egypt. Like, why would I, why in the world would I want to do that? And so that was very confusing for me kind of as a new Christian navigating this. Cause I, I had just, I had read Wesley Hill's book, Washed and Waiting. And I, you know, I mentioned this on the show before, but I was just so surprised at shocked. I was really shocked after I read that book and I was just, I was confused as to why people would want to hold on to, it's almost like, you know, holding on to your binky and just wanting this kind of comfort of, of, of something from your past. Uh, and that's not healthy for you. And, and it's, it's, you know, sinful and to hold on to that and, and not allow the Holy spirit to sanctify that aspect, you know, of your, of your life. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounds like you're describing the new birth, right? Old mm-hmm. things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians five. I mean, that that's what happens if you're a believer. And, I, and I've heard other people who, you know, 
confess a gay or lesbian identity. And then they completely have turned from it as well. You know, it was like when, when they got converted, it was, they were immediately changed and their whole view of all that changed, you know, um, to me though, it's exactly what you said. It, there, there is kind of a holding on, um, to the past life Mm -hmm. when you're retaining this as an identity in some sense. And, it, you know, and a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, it, it's not our uh, identity. Our identity in Christ is primary, but this is still who we, who we are. And I, and that's where I, th- I think it's, it's problematic. Um, God did not design any of us for any kind of sexual sin. And the only degree to which it would be faithful to identify ourselves as sexual sinners is to say that it's sin and to say that it's a manifestation of the flesh. But we're not defined by our, our, our flesh anymore. It's a reality we, we struggle against. We have to war against. And, and in fact, the Bible says we have to put it to death. Right. But, yeah. you, and so one of the, one of the early um, before revoice came onto the scene and you were seeing uh, folks with my perspective, the perspective you're describing, writing and talking about uh, these issues. Um, Rosaria Butterfield wrote her book, the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert. I know she's been on your, your program before and you're friends with her. Um, it's a wonderful book, but, you know, Rosaria talked about that. She, you know, she realized that when she got converted that she had to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The, these were things, a, a, including everything about her former life as, as a lesbian. And one of the responses to that book was a, a little article that Wesley Hill wrote where he said, you know, I think the title of it was, is being gay sanctifiable? This was way back in like 2014. Mm-hmm. And his answer to that question was yes. In other words, you can't put to death sexual orientation because there are parts of a gay sexual orientation that need to be sanctified and offered up to God in holiness, which I, I think is completely inimical to what the Bible says. That, that's not what the Bible tells us to do with you know sinful things that were oriented towards gay straight or otherwise. Um, Rosaria was right about that. And so th- yeah. that's what I'm talking about. What, what we're talking about here is not how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, but this is really practical in terms of how people are going to walk forward with Jesus in their lives in faithful discipleship. And what, if you're trying to figure out, okay, which part of my orientation am, am I sanctifying and offering up to God and which part of it am I putting to death? It just doesn't work like that. Um, so I thought, I thought it was really pastorally, you know, disastrous, um, that message, but you know, that's the difference between the two perspectives. Yeah. I mean, I always liken it to, you know, would you call yourself an adulterous Christian? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If that was your, you know, before you became a Christian, if that was kind of your, your struggle or whatever, would you call yourself an, an adulterous Christian? But the issue is that, you know, obviously in the last 50 years, homosexual behavior has become an identity. It's gone from a sin to a sacrament. And so it is so, the culture has brainwashed us into this idea. And so it's become so much a part of our, you know, our just kind of common lexicon that, that it just feels like, yes, this is who I am. And of course, I always say this before I became a Christian, I absolutely thought, this is who I, I am gay. That's what I believed. And yeah, until, uh, God disabused me of that notion. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the article. Let's get into the conference in Plano 
the Revoice Conference. Um, now, in your article, you say that, and this was this is, and I've heard this, and I tweeted about this, uh, and but I I've heard this before, and um, they so this a lot of the speakers you say assiduously use civil rights language, and that's how the, I think that language I think is from the World article. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is that from? Okay, that that's from the. I'm sorry, yeah. that's the World article, and they the World article, you know, says that the speakers refer to themselves as gender, gender and uh, sexual and gender minorities. Yeah, and they use preferred pronouns. Now, I always say that you know, there's no such thing as a gender, a, a sexual minority. There's only sexual sin. Right. So what? What's going on here with with Revoice? Why are they using preferred pronouns and and cut and gender and this idea of gender minority or sexual minority? Well, when I see that language, that language to me is evidence that you've been colonized by the larger secular thinking today, which is very much driven by critical theory. Um, and I don't know if your listeners, if you ever talk about this on here, but. I mean, that's what's going on at the the academy that's now trickled on down to the main street. This idea that the, the entire world is divided up between the oppressed and oppressors. And everybody's either a member of an oppressor class or an oppressed class. And that could be applied along different intersectional axes. axes. So mm -hmm. your sexuality, your gender, your race, your... Uh, whether or not you're disabled or not, everybody belongs somewhere on the oppressor oppressed spectrum. And that's the case when it comes to homosexuality, transgender identities, and all the rest that when you apply that theory to the people's sexual feelings or gender feelings, what that means is, is you're either oppressed or an oppressor. And so everybody who identifies as homosexual or transgender, they belong to the oppressed class and therefore they are minorities whose rights have been transgressed and that need to be recognized and foregrounded in culture. And if you're, if you're an evangelical arguing from this framework, you're saying you have certain rights and ways that you've been put upon within the church that have to be recognized and the church needs to be responding differently to you. So I, I think that language is just, you know, is a telltale whether they realize it or not you've got inroads of critical theory into your own movement uh whenever you're talking like that and it's just you know I, i'm calling it critical theory but what the way people call it in popular culture now is just wokeness i mean that, that's what that's referring to is the whole complex of ideas that are descending from this certain ideological framework yeah and it's affecting so many, many it's churches. everywhere it's everywhere it's a universal acid yeah and uh, in in the in this piece, World uh, Magazine talks about um, the organizers handed out name tags and instructed them to select a, a circular sticker, letting others know their preferred pronouns. Now, that yeah. to me was stunning when I heard that. Uh, it was for me, too, because Revoice at the beginning was really about homosexuality and the the way evangelicals were talking about thinking about what they were believing about marriage and homosexuality in particular. Well, when I heard this, I've never been to a Revoice conference. I didn't go to this conference. I just read the coverage that, that I could find about it, mm -hmm. especially the world magazine article. Okay. So I wasn't there, but they reported, they had reporters on the ground saying that folks were encouraged to use pronouns. And they were, I think were even included on the name tags. Mm 
So now somehow transgender identities are now a concern of, of the revoice conference, transgenderism and homosexuality are not the same things. These are two different things. So this is a, a new departure uh, for, for revoice. And they appear to be embracing this ideology that says, look, you are what you feel yourself to be. Okay. Not what you're, you know, what God has revealed about maleness or femaleness through the body. That's not who you are. It's what you feel yourself to be. And everybody else has to acknowledge that too, by speaking to you in ways that are basically denying the bodily realities. And so that, that's the whole, that, that's what the whole pronoun thing is all about. But that means that you've, you're, you're, you're neck deep at, at that point uh, in secular, uh, secular ideology mm-hmm. when you're using, you're using pronouns. And, um, and so, so that was very distressing. I had not heard that they were doing that. They, you, you can see on their website and in their literature, they will refer to LGBTQ plus identities but it's pretty thin on what they actually think about transgender identities. They just haven't gone there. This was one of the clearest indications that I could see uh, of where they are on the T they're, they're using pronouns now. And tell us why, because some people might think, why is it problematic? For example, if I use pronouns on my social media as he, him, why is that even even just the re- the truth about that? Why is that problematic? Well, w- w- because what's happening is is that what you're seeing ideologues and activists trying to get everyone to change their language to reflect this ideology. The reason is because if they change the language, you're changing people's minds. In other words, you're changing people's categories of thinking. Now, the the truth about what it means to be male and female is that the difference between male and female is determined by God in his special and distinct design of male and female bodies. You know what a man is and you know what a woman is by t- looking at how their reproductive systems are organized for reproduction. Mm-hmm. You can tell a man because he is, his, his reproductive system is organized towards fathering. Uh, a woman's reproductive system is organized towards mothering. And that's a given thing that you can tell at birth. Instead of that being the indicator of male and female, what people are trying to say now is that, no, that design revealed in creation does not determine manhood or womanhood, maleness or femaleness. What determines it is how you feel about yourself. And if you, ha- if you happen to have a self-conception that feels male, but your body says female, your brain is right and your body's wrong. And so what you do is you take steps to conform the body in its external presentation. And sometimes internally and through surgeries, you conform the body to match the gender confused mind rather than trying to match the gender confused mind to the healthy body. And so that's kind of what's going on right now. And the pronoun usage is an attempt to get everyone to play along with this charade and to deny the creational realities of what maleness and femaleness really are. And yeah. so I, I, I think it's a bigger deal. You know, you, you'll hear some people in the name of Christ arguing for pronoun hospitality and that you should just go along with whatever people ask you to call them. And I'm not arguing that you need to go pick fights about this. That's not what I'm arguing. Um, you know, in, in fact, what, what I tell people is we have two obligations here 
um, Ephesians 4.15, we always need to speak the truth in love. So we have an obligation to speak truthfully, but then also Romans 12, where Paul says, as far as it's up to me, I'm going to leave it peace, live at peace. He says, as far as it's up to you, live at peace with all men, mm-hmm. which says, okay, you are a people of the truth. You have a commitment to the truth, but not every confrontation that you can have is a confrontation you must have. And so, you know, I tell people at my church and just other people that, that ask, you know, you don't have to pick a fight with everybody about the pronouns. Okay. You don't have to do that, but you do need to speak truthfully. And, um, so that can, I understand that that's kind of a sticky wicket sometimes, but you do need to speak truthfully and don't conform to speech codes that dishonor God's revelation in creation, just to placate people who are trying to tear down what God has said in his revelation. So that's, that's the key thing. Uh, that that I think we have to realize. Yeah, and that's and why it's even, important. Yeah, and even as a you know Christian, if I use he him as my preferred pronouns on social media, what that's what that's conveying to people is that there are other options. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. as a Christian, you're you're implying that there you know there's alternatives, and it's like yeah. no, that's so that you're again as you said, you're going along with the charade that you can, you know, it's, ma- it's malleable, it's fluid. You can change your, your pronouns. Yeah. It's not, it's, we, we are not self-constructed individuals. I mean, the culture we live in is trying to say, um, it's a, basically a culture of expressive individualism. I don't, maybe your listeners have had that, heard that term before, but it's basically, um, it's what we've all you know, cut our teeth on growing up this idea that we're all individuals and our individual feelings about ourselves basically define ourselves. And before we talk about transgenderism or before there was any talk about gay marriage or homosexuality being more accepted in culture, this was just a message that was coming to modern people. You can see it in Disney movies. I mean, it is like, it, it is, it is the expressive individualism is the ideological air we breathe. But when you add to that the sexual revolution of the 1960s, which is my sexual feelings are at the core of who I am. And thank you, Sigmund Freud. Yeah, that's the core of who I am. And the expression and affirmation of those sexual feelings is the end all be all, uh, you know, definition of the good life. Once you add that to it, well, now as an expressive individualist, everybody has to affirm your sexual feelings, no matter, and no matter what variety they are, because it's not just LGBTQ, whatever, it's an unending variety, but those sexual feelings need to be expressed and affirmed by everyone else. And so that that's the real, the real issue is, is that we're expressive individualists now applying that to sexuality and sexual categories. Right. And uh, and another kind of st- shocking thing that the World Magazine reported was that uh, one of the presenters at the Revoice Conference in Plano was intro- introduced using the pronouns, quote, they, them, and uh, they, I guess they, I don't know if this is a guy or, or a man or a woman, but this person wore a black t-shirt with the inscription, quote, Imago Dei on it in transgender flag colors yeah i mean to me that was the thing that was shocking because 
okay, I was thinking, okay, well, maybe they're doing the pronouns as a concession to people who feel bad. And this is just a misguided, unwise, bad thing they're doing by using the pronouns, but just for attendees. No, one of the speakers was using pronouns. And so this was coming from the, the, the platform, which means that the, the, the error here is going pretty deep. Yeah. And, uh, they uh, encourage, and in fact, the the speakers or the leaders of the conference encouraged attendees to leave churches that do not affirm their orientation slash gender identity and to form LGBTQ, quote, affinity groups in their local setting. Yeah, when I when I read that, I just, I'm, I'm a pastor too, so I wear a number of hats. I'm a professor, I lead CBMW, but I'm also a pastor. And uh, when I read the thing about, you know, the encouragement from the podium to leave faithful churches because they don't affirm the, uh, you know, celibate gay identities, you know, gay identity. How how does it say it? It says that uh, if they don't affirm your orientation as uh, brothers and sisters, it was something along those lines. Yes. uh, Support. they encourage conference goers to seek out family-like bonds within a local church, but urge them to find a church that quote supports your orientation as a sibling. Yeah. And then so someone, I, someone at the conference said it's like youth group for gay adults. Um, yeah. It was that, that line about supporting your orientation as a sibling. What does that even mean? Um, I, if, if I, I have patterns of sin in my life that I have to work through. And you could, there's a sense in which I could say I'm oriented towards certain sins. I would never ask anybody to affirm that mm-hmm. or, or, or to say, you know, you're the special because you feel this particular pattern of sinful temptation. That's not how, that's not what we do in churches where the Bible says the book of Hebrews, we're supposed to encourage one another onto loving good deeds, not affirm, you know, sinful patterns of behavior or even sinful patterns of, of, tempt, of temptation. So just as a pastor, when I was looking at that, I was thinking, number one, that's bad mm-hmm. for a person who needs to be walking with Christ. But number two, it's it's horrible for a church. It's terribly divisive because it's it's yeah. it's basically you're basically bringing error into the church and you're you're causing an ultimatum saying you either acknowledge what I'm saying and go with what I'm saying or I'm leaving. And that nobody does that in the church in a vacuum that, that has ripples other people come, uh, can come into the error based on that. It can cause splits in a church. It's terribly divisive Mm -hmm. to set this false teaching forward in a church and then insist everybody get on board with it. It's exactly what Paul was addressing when he said, warn a divisive man once after that have nothing to do with them. In other words, you you you're supposed to tell people when they bring that kind of error to the church and try to make it a, a point of contention or fellowship of fellowship, you have to address that, confront it, and if they don't respond, you have to separate from from mm-hmm. from that person because it's so destructive to the rest of the body. So that was that was very distressing to see what they were saying, you know, encouraging basically these believers to leave any church that will would not go along with their sexual orientation or affirm it as a sibling, whatever that means. Right. And it, and, and then it says in the world article, it says during the lunch breaks, revoice offered quote, affinity groups broken into various categories, gender minorities, 
family love family slash loved ones of LGBTQ plus bisexual slash pansexuals, asexuals slash aromantics, women, quote, assigned female at birth, mixed orientation, heterosexual marriages. So yeah, as you're saying, even within this, the Revoice conference, there's divisive, there's divisiveness. They're, oh, they're, yeah. they're separating people into categories of these, this, these woke categories, these, you know, these yeah. critical theory categories. No, abs- absolutely. But that, that entire framework is inimical to what it means to follow Christ and to do it in community. Now, I'm not saying that we don't, you know, we never form bonds of friendship with people that we have similar life experiences with. Of course we do that. But one of the, one of the best things about being a member of a church is that, you know, the church is God's matrix of discipleship for every believer. Okay. There's not supposed to be any lone ranger Christians, but one of the best things about the church is that you're with a lot of people who aren't like you and who don't share your same struggles. And in fact, it's a lot of times those relationships, which help the most, you know, even in my small group at church, we've got married people, we've got singles, you know, we've had singles over the years. Um, you know, we've got, uh, kids, we've got adults, we've got some people who are older, some people who are younger. I mean, those diff- those differences are helpful, but if, if we were all just sort of in these little affinity groups based on sin patterns, that, that to me is just practically not very helpful, but it's also, you know, in this case, I think another indication that this, this, this bent towards, you know, dividing yourself up and categorizing yourself according to certain sin patterns is, is ultimately not helpful and it's, it's destructive. And I think it goes against what uh, the Bible teaches. And in the article you say, uh, you say, believe it or not, I am sympathetic to some of the stated aims of the founders of Revoice. To the degree that churches have mishandled people struggling with homosexual sin, I want to see correction and reform too. So talk about that a little bit. Because when I when I became a Christian, I had never experienced, I was never a part of the church. So, you know, so uh, when I became a Christian, m- my church in Hollywood was very much... Um, welcoming and loving and super supportive of me uh and and they all rallied around me and prayed for me and it was an amazing time so talk about that how talk about what that statement you that you made in this article well i the places are churches are different okay and not yeah. everybody has the same struggles and the same issues but I mean, I think it's fair to acknowledge that in, in some churches, they have the gospel for most people and then culture war for other people. Um, and to the degree that churches get into that kind of rut where they're just viewing uh, people who experience homosexual temptations or whatever, and they, they, they're treating them differently than other sinners. In yeah. other words, they're not giving the same open-armed invitation to repent and believe the gospel that they would to any other center that that's problematic. And so, and I don't, I don't want to say, I don't know. I hope that's not what's going on in most churches now, but I can't deny that that is a, is a reality in some places. And I'll, I'll just, I mean, share personally with you. I had a buddy tell me one time that he didn't believe that the church that uh, we had grown up in had any integrity because of the way they treated gay people. Hmm. And I said, what are you talking about? 
Because when I was, you know, I'm at the age where we, we actually just didn't even talk about this in church. It wasn't anything that we talked about. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. We never even, we never even mentioned these things. And he said, well, I'm, I'm talking about you. I said, what do you mean? And he told me some joke that I told in like in high school, some gag that I used to do. And honestly, I hadn't thought about it in 20 or 30 years. But when he said it, I remembered it hmm. and it was wrong and sinful on, on my part. And I had no idea the effect that that was having at the time, but I can imagine that it was, it could be devastating to somebody hearing that who may be actually having feelings that they don't know what to do with. So I, I'm just saying that because of you know my own insensitivities at different points in my life, surely that's not the only time that's ever happened in a church. And I want to get better at that. I don't, I don't want to be like I was, you know, the bonehead that I was in high school towards people who are struggling and who want to come to Christ. I want to be helpful. So that's kind of where I was coming from. And I do, I know that a lot of the experiences that some of the folks at Revoice are sharing, maybe they had some of those experiences. Mm -hmm. Maybe they, maybe they did come into a context where they felt like they were completely out of place People didn't know what to do with them. There were a lot of churches. Uh, I would argue that if you if you said that you had these homosexual feelings, they would farm you out to some other ministry mm. because that church's ministry wasn't sufficient for them. So they farm you out to some other ministry. And I, that, that stuff's not helpful. I mean, we, we God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. The matrix for discipleship is the church. And we do need to be a family that's open and welcoming to repentant sinners period. Yeah. And we Amen. need to be ready for that. And what you just described in your testimony is where we all need to be. And we, we don't want to, you know, have the gospel for some people and culture war for others. So anyway, that's why I said that. Um, I, I, I do want people to come to Christ. Now, I don't think any of that, any of those problems that you might encounter in a church justify error. <laughs> you know, or biblical errors. Yeah. Because you say in the article, those could, yeah. it could be a stumbling block. Yeah. I mean, the, these kinds of errors are, don't help um, forming communities that are in antithesis or antagonizing your own church. That's not the answer, you know, either. And um, so that's where I was coming from. Yeah. It's like the pendulum was over here and now it's like over here. So yeah. It, yeah. It swung uh, to the other extreme and you, you quote Carl Truman, which I, I, I mean, of course, I love Carl Truman. He's been on the show and his book is amazing. But you quote Carl Truman and you say one thing or he says one thing is now clear to stay with revoice is not merely to legitimate more than subtle distinctions about sexual identity. In truth, it is to lend support to the anthrop anthropological chaos currently gripping American society. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought those words were sobering and um, true. If if they're going to go down the path of using pronouns, of you know, delving into the pool of sexual minorities, you know, accepting that as a status and as a framework for understanding what it means to be a human being, you're you're moving away from Christ at that point. You're you're taking steps towards unfaithfulness, and you're you're actually going to be confusing people and leading them astray. So I, I thought that the, the graveness with which he said that I thought, I thought it was appropriate and right. And where did he, where did he write this? 
that was, I believe, on first things. I think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. 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 Excuse me. I think it was in World Opinions. Okay. Well, we can uh, go correct it in the show notes later or something, but uh, yeah, it's in no, one I, of those I, two. I like I like that quote uh, because it it is it's it's because when I you know this was this was what was confusing to me when I first heard of Revoice, I, I guess in 2018 or maybe no, I think I first heard of it in 2019, and I was actually invited to a Revoice conference and. Um, I really, honestly, at the time, I just didn't know, is this good or bad? I can't tell sure, yeah. what is this. And, and I almost went, uh, but uh, praise God, <laughs> I didn't. And, um, but now it's as now, as Carl Trubin so eloquently says, it's just clear now that there's no more, it's, it's not vague anymore. There's no vagueness to this issue. Because it, it's if they're going to have people speaking from the podium about, you know, with a transgender flag or, or, or whatever and, and using pronouns and et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, this is this is uh, it's clear. Oh, yeah. that And that's why I thought this the, the world coverage was so significant because it seemed like an, a, a whole new departure. I mean, we already had significant disagreements here. We already had significant issues in play just on the sexuality issue. But now with the gender identity stuff, um, that that was just a whole new thing. Yeah. And so before we close, I just want to ask what I mean, what would you say to pastors, to evangelical pastors who are kind of struggling with this and trying to figure out whether to, you know, give into this or not? Like, what would you say to pastors? I I would say that you need to have biblical and theological clarity on what it is. The Bible says about our sexuality, what it says about being a male or female. And these used to be things that could be assumed and that everybody just sort of took for granted. But in an age where those things are contested, you have to be clear on it and you have to speak to it with clarity and also, you're going to have to be able to identify error, not just for the sake of yourself, obviously, but for the sake of your flock. You're going to have mm-hmm. to be able to say, look, if if you go this direction, this fork in the road leads away from Jesus. This fork in the in this side goes t- towards Jesus. You have to help people there because they're going to be tempted towards uh, some of these teachings and the and they're going to be tempted towards it because sometimes they're framed in such soft therapeutic tones, tones. You know, if you want to be nice, if you want to be loving, this is the way that you go. Mm-hmm. And you're going to, you're going to have to say, no, the path of love is, you know, first Corinthians 13, love always rejoices in the truth. We, we don't serve anybody by, you know, watering down what the scripture says what God's revelation says. We have to make that plain to people. When you make the truth plain to people, that's the path to life. That what's, that's what's the most loving. So you're going to have to really make sure that you're getting clear on these things. I travel around a ton. Maybe you do too, you know, talking about these issues in different churches. And I'm just telling you people in the pews are desperate for help right now. They really want pastoral guidance, which means, not only the theological and biblical clarity, but also how do I apply this? 
because the people that are dealing with this are not just people who are, you know, transgender, having transgender feelings themselves or homosexual feelings in themselves. A lot of people in congregations are dealing with this because they have an HR department, which is cramming this down their, their throat at work. And they're just trying to figure out, okay, first of all, what am I supposed to believe about this? Then number two, how am I supposed to respond to what the HR director is telling me I have to do to work here? You know, they need pastoral guidance and clarity in these areas. And that's, that's where I see people are just desperate right now for, for leadership. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a mad world right now. (laughs) And um, so we're going to, we'll leave it there, but where can people find you? Um, The organization council on biblical manhood, womanhood, we have a ton of resources online. Um, It's at cbmw.org. So that's one place you can come to. You can find the Nashville statement, the Danvers statement, and just, uh, you know, 20, 30 years worth of resources up there for free. And then also I have my own personal website, dennyburk.com. And I write about various and sundry things there as well. So (laughs) either place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll put the, both of those links down below, but Denny Burke, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. All right. Thank you guys. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.